You're listening to the Hopped Up Network. The show you're about to listen to is part of the Hopped Up Network's growing family of craft beer podcasts in the U.S. and Canada. I think it's great. Find this show and others like it at hoppedupnetwork.com, the spot for informative and entertaining craft beer podcasts. I love it. I love you guys. You're listening to the Hopped Up Network. You're listening to the Pints and Provisions podcast with Evan, Mark, Ryan, and Dan. You're listening to the Pints and Provision Podcast with Evan, Mark, and Dan. Oh, I forgot someone. I can't remember. Um, I, I had this, which you brought me, Ryan, the Nectar Ale. They're good. It's sweet. Yeah. Um, but it's good, you know. I kind of didn't want any. I didn't want some like hazy gut bomb, um, but I did. I did. I, I did get out the homebrew because we were doing coffee, and this is the coffee maple syrup homebrew. Um, I don't get much coffee anymore. I think it's really faded. But you that'll give us something to talk about here in the next half hour, right? Yeah, I. Um, I tried a bomber oven, and it was not carb. Ah. Uh, I might, I wonder if I just got lucky on that one. Yeah. So I've got a few more in the fridge just to start popping them to see what happens. Yeah. Well, you never know. Yeah, there's just way there's there's it's just full of maple syrup uh, at this point. The homebrew, it's like all the coffee just kind of. I use cold brew coffee, and boy, at the beginning it was just like in your face, and I like that, but it's kind of it's gone. It's almost gone. But it's not fresh anymore, and it's a stout, so. Yeah. Coffee's the first thing to go. Yeah, unfortunately. Although, like, I, I still want to know, every single time I have, like, a Bourbon County coffee, no matter how old it is, you still get coffee. Yeah. Every time. I had a 2014 two weeks ago. Like, not a ton, but still, six years later, plenty of coffee. It's like, because any other place besides Goose Island, really, for the most part, after a year, it becomes this green pepper vegetal flavor. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't age well at all. What's interesting, too, is when you first get them, they don't seem like they're overpowering at first, either. So it's not like they're blasting them up front, and then they're slowly tapering off and lasting longer, because they seem pretty balanced from the get-go. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think part of that may be not over roasting the coffee for that. I think they're pretty good using intelligentsia about kind of making sure that it's a more light medium roast. Cause I think the darker roast will kind of deteriorate way faster. I think those flavors will. Yeah. I don't I wonder, have science to back that, but. <laughs> Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. so why, it, why, why, why is that from the coffee expert? Why is that? We can do it. Um, yeah. I mean, just basically from the science of it, the more you roast a coffee bean, the, the less dense it gets. So a, a darker roast is going to extract much faster and it's going to break down much faster in a liquid during the extraction. So my thought would be that if you have a very roasty coffee that's dark and some of those oils are popping out already, like you can even feel them, they're brittle to the touch for a lot of dark roasts. Uh, I, I have a feeling that those oils are what start to like have that negative flavor. So like the oils are the actual part that's turning into that vegetal flavor. Whereas if you keep things more of like a medium roast where it's still extractable, but not 
releasing those oils, I think you might get a longer longer lifespan in the beer. Uh, that's something to think about. I mean, it so, makes sense. As a devil's advocate, I would just have to wonder, you know, how have no other breweries really figured it out? You know, not to say that that's not a simple change, but just like whether whether it's the roasting time and, and how all that goes, I just, it's amazing how the Goose Island product is, uh, is it just, it's still kind of light years different from, um, I mean, I, I'm just thinking like some and, and uh, you know, some of the three Floyd stuff that I've caught, um, kind of drawing a blank at the moment, but even the, uh, the bottle logic, uh, you know, fundamental summation, that, that probably lasts a little bit longer than most, but still, you know, a year and a half, two years, and it really turns vegetable. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I, I guarantee Goose Island does such an extensive job with, with the testing on the coffees themselves before they even make a selection. I mean, I, 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 think, I still think that there's somewhat of a disconnect in a lot of breweries with coffee. They might say, hey, this coffee tastes good. Let's just buy it. Or I know this roaster. Let's buy it without putting a lot of specific thought for each beer. Um, so I, I wonder how much that comes into play. Um, but you'll, you'll see a lot of breweries like really take the coffee program seriously. Like cycle, for example, they had that coffee week and I wasn't, you know, necessarily the biggest fan of the beers themselves, but I had one of those Sumatras and it, the coffee portion of it tasted good two years later. Yeah. Wow. No, I, I, I think you're right. I bet it's the, and not to throw, I'm not throwing any brewery under the bus, but there's a lot of brewers, brewers, breweries out there that probably don't know even the specifics and maybe the the science behind brewing and they just do it by feel um and you're right they probably have a local coffee place that's down the street they love to go to and they're like oh damn that's a good that's a good el salvador we should use that in our beer but they don't think about because they're too busy thinking about how to put it in the beer that they don't think about what they're putting in yeah for sure um, but yeah, I, I, Goose Island, I'm sure that their R&D on all that stuff is just yeah. light years beyond what most of us could, could imagine for, you know, even the small breweries that we like to go to. Absolutely. Uh, well, okay. I guess I should do a formal introduction then. Um, Evan here with the Pints and Provisions. We kind of went back to Zoom because guess what? Um, people don't give a crap about wearing masks and obeying the rules. And, and you know, if you follow locally here, uh, Neil, if you saw this, the white trash bash was a river festival that occurred nearby that made the wall street journal or maybe the New York times journal or was it the New York but times? I saw it in Newsweek, but Oh my goodness. It's a, yeah, oh, it's a, it's apparently a uh, festival ongoing for the last like what, five years where no way longer than that way right. longer than that but you know they all all the people from you know that go down to the river they gather and um apparently none, none nobody was wearing a mask or doing any kind of social distancing so i'm sure we'll spike bucks, right oh they said like 500 people yeah so anyway um <laughs> <laughs> anyway um that's why we're Zooming tonight. But, you know, this has always been a good way to get in touch with someone like Neil uh, with Alert Coffee Company to, you know, get in touch with people across the, the country that do good beer, good coffee, uh, and the other things that we like. So Ryan and I welcome you, Neil. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I guess we've already kind of 
I don't know if we want to keep going on the whole um, beer and coffee thing, but it's probably good to get Neil to start off talking about, you know, where you got going with the whole coffee business. Um, because we've kind of known you through, you know, online beer groups and beer trading, beer um, down in Florida. So how did this turn into now a coffee obsession? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, known you guys via the internet on uh, in some of the beer groups for a long time now. And, and that's kind of where my, you know, foray into craft beverages kind of began was, you know, really getting into beer. Um, and then it turned into a little bit of whiskey as well. Um, and then I was living in New York, New Jersey, moved down to Tampa and in 2015, and I had a, a Ethiopian pour over in a local shop and it just kind of blew me away. Um, kind of like expanded my mind on what, you know, coffee could be and it should be really be considered in that, you know, culinary craft beverage the same way as, as you know, our other uh, favorite craft beverages are. So I've been into the science of home brewing, um, mostly with pour over, um, with, you know, some AeroPress and stuff like that. Um, and then recently within the last year, I would say I really got into the science of espresso um, with pressure profiling and um, all of the impacts uh, in different recipes and brew ratios for espresso. Uh, and that kind of led into a little bit of home roasting in a one of those whirly pop uh, popcorn makers on the stove. Oh, wow. Um, and I was actually doing that for a while. Um, and I kind of got annoyed that I didn't have any data or metrics to follow along. Um, so I just honestly said the hell with it and bought a uh, one kilogram commercial roaster. Um, from a place called Mill City Roasters uh, in in Minnesota, and so, really just, Minnesota. I've seen that. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I actually went to take the courses with them and, and did some training with uh, their head roaster and also their their Q grader and uh, and a cupping trainer. Um, and I, you know, I, I have a business background, so when I bought the roaster, I said I'm going to start it like it's a business from the get go, you know, with the LLC and the whole deal. And if it takes off, great. If not. I'll just roast for myself and it'll be my hobby. And, um, you know, ended up getting some really good feedback and started doing some markets earlier this year and then COVID hit. And I thought, okay, well no more markets that stinks. But I, I guess at that point I built enough of a local recognition, local brand recognition that people were having to drink coffee at home. So, you know, I transferred to online sales, um, started roasting on a bigger machine elsewhere in a you know, commercial facility. And, you know, it just kind of took off, um, you know, really just kind of naturally um, this year. And so now we're opening up our own roasting space inside 81 Bay Brewing. I'm actually drinking their coffee porter right now. Awesome. Um, coffee. Not yet. So this is their okay. old batch. Um, I actually did do a, uh, a Ethiopian blonde with them um, that actually right. turned out really cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm putting my roaster in there and then... Light body too, was it? Yeah. Well, I actually picture was like kind of a cool, uh, cool concept with that type of beer to have coffee in it. Yeah, and we really went really light on the roast too because we really wanted to accentuate the fruit notes in that uh, Mustafa um, Ethiopia. I think that was the first bag you ordered, um, and so it really just kind of played well. Um, so yeah, so we're putting a big boy commercial roaster in there, about uh, uh, eighteen to twenty pound batches at a time. Uh, versus the two pound batch machine that I'm moving from my garage. And we're actually opening up a full on coffee shop inside Seven Sun Brewing in Seminole Heights. Oh, that'll um, be cool. Yeah, in September. So 
I'm kind of playing off the whole beer and coffee thing. I think, I think it just kind of makes sense to go together. Um, and you know, a lot of, a lot of synergy opportunities and a lot of ways to work together and collaborate. So, um, it really just happened very fast to be perfectly honest, uh, probably started really everything towards the end of last year. That's, um, that's so fun. I, mean, I think one, well, I think about the first place that I went to was, um, modern times in San Diego that had their coffee shop in their brewery and talk about like, Hey, you know, it's like noon. I don't have to have a beer. Maybe I'll start off with like an Americano or something. I can just kind of warm up to. And my wife actually probably had more coffee than she had beer because she liked it so much. So it's a neat concept to be able to, you know, mimic down there in Florida. Absolutely. And that's one of the, one of the main places where I kind of drew the, the concept. Um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of places, a lot of, there are some breweries that, you know, have their own roasters um, that they're actually roasting on in their facilities um, for, for their beers. So, I mean, it's just kind of, it makes sense. It goes yeah. hand in hand. The same people who drink really good craft beer are going to be the same people who like craft coffee. So bringing them together, I think is a good idea. And you might be able to bring some people over from the beer space and, you know, the beer people can probably bring some over from the coffee space. That's, that's the hope. That's the plan. Neil, it's interesting. You mentioned that, um, that, you know, the, the craft coffee people can enter the craft beer space and vice versa. Um, I, I was excited that we, uh, decided to, to get together this week. Cause I just listened to the, uh, I listened to how I built this podcast. I, Neil as a, as an entrepreneur, I don't know if you've heard of that one or not, but it's, it's incredible. They get, they get really, really good. Um, one, one person, they get really good, uh, big companies that started small. Um, I'm trying to think of some, some big ones off the top of my head, but, uh, I think, I think some of the guys that started, um, LinkedIn were on there once and Starbucks maybe on there. And, um, more recently, like within the last couple of weeks, they, they had the lock Bay guys on and, um, they're from the Northwest and found Philadelphia as a market that didn't have coffee after they got influenced by just having a good cup in Seattle or something like that. And their, uh, their strategy was to go to the fanciest restaurants in Philadelphia. They had a couple of uh, Michelin stars in, uh, in town and they wanted uh, to get into those doors first because they said, these are the chefs of these places have the best palates in the world or some of the best palates in the world. We can get into their doors. Everyone's going to follow smaller restaurants, other businesses, things like that. And, and consumers taste will start to uh, evolve and things like that. And, and it was around the time, I mean, it was like in the early nineties or something when this started where, um, you know, it was like the, the Folgers generation was still booming. And um, they said they just kind of, blew these people's minds right off the bat, getting some, some really fresh beans from, you know, Central America, Africa, things like that. And they said then, you know, once uh, people heard of, of our coffee going into really nice restaurants, places in New York City started following, and then Boston, and then down the coast, D.C., et cetera. They said, and then just consumers' tastes and everything just kind of exploded from there. And um, you know, I didn't know a ton about their business. I didn't know that they were that old, but it was kind of like they followed a little bit of Starbucks and they're one of the biggest coffee, coffee companies around. And it was just kind of cool to think of 
You know, they went into the restaurant just to go into consumers' palates, not thinking of who likes coffee, but who has a good palate because a good palate will like good coffee. And that kind of, uh, you know, formed itself and, you know, we translated with, we always talk about, you know, with, when we get Mark on here, we get good cooked smoked meat and food and stuff like that. But then you talk about, you know, how fruited saisons enter the wine world and coffee enters the beer world and, uh, and obviously bourbon enters the beer world and vice versa. So it's just kind of cool how all those things have just flow together. So it, it was, it was exciting to listen to that podcast and how much I could relate to it just from the consumer standpoint. And obviously, you know, we're kind of talking about that same type of stuff here. Yeah. And you know, it makes a lot of sense. And I really didn't know that La Colombo was that old either. Um, I think they've really kind of exploded, especially into like the cold brew can retail market. I mean, every they time I go to the, that. every time I go to the city, um, cause I used to work in the city, um, and, and live in, in New Jersey, every time I would go in, I'd see one on my way somewhere. Um, but you know, back to the point about the, the restaurants, it also, with if, when people with those type of palates like your product, it's almost like an instant credibility for the people who follow those, those restaurants and those chefs. And in the beer world, it's kind of similar because someone into craft beer might have a stout and be like, oh, you know what, that stout was awesome. I need to buy some coffee. Maybe I'll go to Mostra. They're everywhere. There's must be a reason why everyone is using, is using them for the, yeah. Know, for the beer, so maybe I should buy a coffee from them. So it's like a credibility in your specific, you know, you know, hobby or niche, and and kind of like translates. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we had a bachelor party um, down in St. Louis last year. I think last year, yeah. And uh, you know, side project. It was in St. Louis. Side project opened at I don't know noon or one or something like that. And, all of the, the guys on the trip, or most of them, had, uh, were excited for the craft beer places we were going to, but they didn't open until noon one or whatever where we were going to. So everyone was like, well, we got to go to some coffee because they've been, you know, influencing the beer market yep. from the local St. Louis coffee market. So it was just like, and one of the guys was a huge coffee guy. And so it just kind of added to the experience of, hey, we're, we're going to start off the day with an amazing cup of coffee. And um, it's just, it's really, I love it just as much as, as the, the food and and wine and beer and, and bourbon world is as much as, as the other. So it's, it was just exciting to kind of see everyone excited about, you know, <laughs> going to get a cup yeah. of coffee on a, on a Saturday morning at a bachelor party. So it's just, that's, but that's the world we live in. It's, 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 it's how, I mean, that just showcases how good coffee really, how, how good it really is. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear that. That's good for my business. <laughs> when people are that excited about coffee, um, that, that, that's a really good thing for, for craft coffee. What's, uh, Neil, what is, uh, so you, you talk about Ethiopia and that's where you get a lot of your stuff. How is, what's the procurement process and, and like what kind of stuff do you usually try to seek out? And in terms of, since you're doing pretty small batches, is it easy to get? Like I have no idea what it's like to get, you know, virgin coffee than to be able to roast. Yeah, it's actually, um, so I work with importers and they're the ones who are actually going to farms and having relationships with the farms and paying the import taxes and worrying about the shipping and, and all that stuff. And for someone like me who is, you know, maybe buying like, you know, like I would say probably like 1,000 to 2,000 pounds of coffee at a time, 
um, you know, because one bag is like 130 to 150 pounds. Um, okay. And so basically the way that I think about procuring coffee for a menu of offerings is several ways. Um, I like to have a wide variety for people. You know, if it was me, I'd just get really cool, interesting coffees from like Colombia and Ethiopia and different processing methods. But, you know, I have to think about what's going to be good for someone who wants like a chocolatey round coffee in their espresso and their latte. You know, who wants something that's really sweet and chocolatey for a cold brew. Um, so I try and build a menu based on variety, not only of regions, but also of flavor profiles. And what's really good about having great relationships with importers is that I can actually go to them and tell them the flavor profile that I'm looking for. So a lot of people don't realize that coffee is, is very seasonal. Um, you know, it, there's one or two harvests a year for most regions and when it's gone, it's gone. So when your favorite, your favorite blend from Stumptown or from Intelligentsia doesn't have the same coffee in it all the time. So what they're doing is their, their graders or their cuppers um, or smaller companies who have blends are basically saying, hey, I'm out of the Peru, which is 60% of my breakfast blend. I need something that's molasses sweetness. I need something that has dark uh, dried apricots and some cocoa in there to balance out this blend that I have going. And the importers will actually be able to point you in the right direction. Um, and they'll send you samples, um, either roasted or unroasted, and you roast the samples and you do your own cuppings and your own tasting, and then you basically make the purchases through there. Um, so that for me, as, a, as an upstart business, who doesn't wanna to have too many coffees on hand, uh, too much inventory on hand right now, it's you know beyond helpful. Um, mm -hmm. It basically makes us go around because small companies like myself who try to go to farm usually can only go to one or two at a time because it's just too much work to do. There's too mm -hmm. many regulations. There's too many taxes to pay. Um, there's a lot of insurance that you have to worry about. Um, it's just not feasible. So we just basically go through a middleman and I have several importers. Um, Yellow Rooster is actually here in Tampa and they have phenomenal uh, uh, Central and South American contacts. Um, and then I go through Prop to Cup, which is in Brooklyn and they have a, a wonderful connection to Colombia and to a lot of the African region as well. Huh. Um, so that's kind of the way that I source the coffee. Wow, I I had no idea about that. That's so interesting. It's the I feel like I learn something new every day, um, but it really is um, a very, you know, somewhat complex um, supply chain, um, especially considering you know everything with COVID right now. You know, we've had coffees that should have been here a month ago that aren't. And then a lot of times you have to commit to buying a certain amount of coffee before it ships even sometimes. Like if you mm -hmm. want to get that, that best quality lot, you have to commit to buying 30 bags, right? Well, when COVID hit, there was a lot of bags sitting around that people couldn't claim because, of, because business tanked. So it, it became kind of an issue in the industry, but um, the importers and the farmers are, are really what kind of give us as roasters and, and, uh, and shop owners kind of like the big push. So around us, um, I don't know, I, Evan, correct me, it, it felt like when COVID hit, it was maybe probably no less than three weeks, but maybe five or six weeks where, you know, everything was just shut down, right? And then the startup um, of the, uh, you know, uh, essential businesses that, you know, kind of seems to get a lot of a lot of laughs out there. You know, coffee coffee roasters and, and companies 
in our town at least were uh, were able to to get going again. And uh, at least from what I saw, that that lag time wasn't long enough to where they had to throw beans out and really wasted a bunch. Um, yeah. You know, I know currently they're uh, they're you know it seems like they're super crowded every time I go in there. So I, I guess I was wondering like was there was there a lot? I mean, fresh coffee should last at least four to six weeks. I don't know. Friends of mine say that uh, consider it similar to like a fresh IPA. How long you want it in your fridge? So uh, you think around the around the country at least for for U.S. roasters that. Uh, that that closure time was was too long, where a lot of a lot of product was actually just thrown out because it went bad. No, so the green coffee before it's roasted, if, as long as it's in the proper conditions, that's still roastable with minor minor probably not noticeable to ninety nine percent of people differences for up to a year. So the green coffee before it's roasted is is completely fine, right? It's just it's a matter of once you roast it, it's the clock starts ticking. Um, and really, I mean, depending on how you package, I mean, I, and, and depending on the coffee, right? Like the Gesha that I did the special relief release of, I still have some, and I think it's just still banging right now. Um, I think some of those coffees like are better, like three, four five weeks out sometimes. So it's kind of hard to, hard to put like a hard stop on it, but yeah, for green coffee, I think the issue was that the shops had to close and they weren't getting any revenue and they were trying to keep paying their people. And once you take the, the shipment of the coffee that you've contracted on that, that net term starts. So now you have your coffee, you got 30 days to pay back and it's like, well, okay, am I going to be open to start roasting this coffee or am I just going to owe? And so people were like, can I push it a week? Can I push it a week? But then you have the importers who have already laid the groundwork and spent that money bringing everything in. Someone along the way isn't getting the money. Yeah. <laughs> at some at some point and i i honestly think it picked up pretty quick like you said um probably like five four or five weeks before coffee shops were completely open again and i think it took roasters a couple weeks to really kind of start making that home coffee shipping push direct to consumer i think a lot of roasters were set were so set on this wholesale track that they didn't have a whole lot of effort going to, to direct to consumer and you know to their credit a lot of roasters really pivoted well and just kind of said, okay, here's my market. Let's go there now. Um, so I think there was kind of some lag and some downtime, which kind of impacted, but I think, I think things are starting to pick up. I think the farmers are probably hurting worse than anything else, but that seems to always be the case. Unfortunately. Yeah. I bet that unfortunately always the case. I think the local guys here did a really good job of pivoting to the, um, you know, shipping, but you know, from an early point here, you know, when they started to let <clears throat> like curbside, stuff happen a lot it was super easy for them to do curbside because one they had enough employees where they pretty much had a busy coffee um shop but they were just running outside a lot to like bringing your beans bringing your coffee and you know a lot of us kept going yeah i mean a lot of coffee is to go as it is you know yeah. there is there is there's something to be said about you know the the in-shop atmosphere of a coffee place but a lot of people just get it and go so yeah, I think I think that's big. Ours has yeah, a, yeah, to go curbside. Ours has an awesome like drip program that they just make a huge batch of it. So as much as I would love to go in and, and get a Chemex in the morning, um, get a, a really well done drip that's, that's kind of produced. I don't know. They probably do two gallons at a time or something like that. So 
you can get that in 30 seconds. It's just fantastic and, and on the run and good to get all the way into work and stuff like that if I'm not making my own. But um, I'll tell you what, the way that I look at it is it, a drip, the drip coffee coming from a shop is the real barometer to how good that shop is. <laughs> I've had some drip. I, I totally agree. I've had drip coffee that annihilates pour overs in like every, almost every other shop I've had. It is such a science and an art form and the amount of thought process that goes into a quality drip program is really, I think, undersold. Um, I don't think a lot of people know about really what goes into that. It's a... Uh, because companies want to just do it and rush it and, yep. and, and sell it quick. And yep. not think twice about it, but I totally agree. Hey, it's like uh, breweries and lagers. Uh, you can make a good pastry stout and a good IPA, but if you, IPAs versus lagers. But but if you can't make a proper lager, you probably don't know how to brew. Yeah, you can dry the hell out of it and just cover up all your bad quality beer by making a hazy IPA in the, the worst ways by dry hopping <laughs> just with a bunch of Citroen Galaxy. Yeah. But or if your sour didn't turn out right, just throw some milk sugar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. If there's one thing I could continue to do without, it's milk sugar. At least, <laughs> at least in IPAs. You know, I don't mind it in a milk stout, but uh, yeah. uh, I, I know our buddy Eddie is not a fan of milk sugar. Yeah, we screwed up by setting him uh, <laughs> a stout and some milk sugar. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt I felt really bad, but you know, he was very well, gracious. So, Neil, I. I have a question that I, I was I wrote down when um, you mentioned it before on getting beans in like through your uh, your Tampa importer you mentioned I don't remember the name you said but um, like are they big enough where if, you know Cigar City Brewing is is making a coffee stout or cycle um, or I, I don't remember some of the other big coffee coffee roasters in town there but. Are they all basically getting it from that one place? Are there multiple importers in Tampa that are all kind of competing? And so you're able to pick and choose from some, or is this just, just kind of one hub that um, you're able to get from? And it's hopefully that makes it a little bit easier for commerce. So for, for me, for importers, there's really kind of like, there's a couple really big ones. There's one that's called Cafe Imports. They're actually in Minnesota. Um, I believe they have a couple locations though. Um, and then there's Royal Coffee and some other big ones. Yellow Rooster is, is a smaller shop in Tampa and they really focus on kind of specialty coffees. Like that's where I got the Gesha and that's where my Columbia experimental fermentation comes from. And they have really good relationships with the farmers in these regions. So they're, they're not gonna be your mass coffee grab, right? So for example, one big coffee company in Tampa is Buddy Brew. And, you know, Buddy Brew probably isn't going to go to Yellow Rooster just because of a volume perspective. Um, I think from a quality perspective, Yellow Rooster gets some of the, you know, really most unique fun offerings for anyone that I've kind of tried to source from. But if I was a, a huge company that had to stock a shelf in a grocery store, um, they might not be the first person I check out. I'd probably go to them first just because of my relationship, but they might not have the big quantities. Um, most coffee they don't, people don't rely on, on local. Um, it works out great for me because I can just drive and pick it up because shipping coffee is insanely expensive. Um, but most people, most people just freight it, um, get big pallets with, you know, big bags wrapped in shrink wrap, like, uh, you know, six feet tall, um, and just kind of get those deliveries that way, um, uh, from some of the bigger importers. 
So uh, what's, what's some of your favorite at-home brewing? Because you said you started at, at home, and I know that, you know, Ryan and I always like doing Chemex at home, and I think a lot of people like doing Chemex pourovers. Are there other interesting ways that you like or other ways you like better than, like, to brew at home? You know, mo for the most part, um, I'm either playing around with espresso or doing a V60, um, especially now that I'm working from home. Um, it's been doing a lot from home. Um, you know, if I'm gonna, if I really need a lot of coffee quick, I'll do a mocha master like we, we were talking about a little bit uh, earlier. Um, I think that's one of the best at home batch brewers you can possibly get. Um, but mostly I'm doing espresso or just plain espresso, maybe an Americano or uh, a V60. I've also been playing a lot with cold brew lately. Um, it's getting hot and our shop is opening. So I've um, been messing around with cold brew and different methods for that. It's really easy actually to make it home. Um, you know, my trick is I do a hot bloom, you know, like you do a bloom on a Chemex, I actually do that with the cold brew before I do the overnight soak. Um, so I, I feel like it brings out the, the acidity and the, the pop of flavor from some of the really cool funky beans. Um, whereas I think just plain cold water just ends up kind of flat to me. Um, so I've been playing around with different, um, different extraction methods for cold brew as well. Um, so, so run that through me again. So you, when you pour it over, it's warm like you would making a normal one, but then you let those soak overnight in the fridge. Yeah, so I'll basically do just just the same as a as a as a Chemex. So the first pour is with hot water. Yeah, forty five seconds to two minutes, depending on the volume, um, and then follow it up with your rest of your cold water and put it in the fridge for twenty four. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, so the hot bloom makes a big difference. I've done, I've done side by sides and it's, uh, it's noticeable for sure. Um, you, yeah, I've been playing around with that a lot, but what's up? Do you can that? Um, I'm, we're hoping to, um, it's yeah. Coffee canning is actually more complicated than I initially thought. Um, just because, no. yeah, you, because of the, uh, organic compounds in the coffee, um, you actually have to pasteurize it or it'll go bad. So yeah. if you're pasteurizing it, then it's not really cold brew anymore, but they have this method called pressurized pasteurization. So it's, it's with pressure. So it's not quite as bad as just plain old heat. Um, so we've been playing around and talking to some people about that and, and hopefully we can kind of go that route once we uh, open the shop and build a little clout. Huh. Yeah, dark matter, uh, dark matter in Chicago. They they have a, a really good cold brew program, but I just read some interviews from them before, and, and they just talk about how the the overall like chemical makeup and chemistry behind everything with with what it takes to to make coffee um, makes it very very hard to can and last long. So wow, but, I didn't know that either. Um, yeah, it's sure and it's also years ago they said that about beer and yeah, you know, bottled wine and else and, and people figure it out and um but yeah it's uh it's it's interesting and it's a hot thing though so i think that's a, a good thing good track that you guys you know that you're on you know pushing that yeah we're going to be doing uh, growlers and crowlers from day one um so at the shop you know save a little bit of money get a get a growler take yeah. it home type thing um but yeah canning i mean i think I think canning is the way to go as long as you can, as long as the quality standards can be maintained. Um, Cause that's why I got into this is because I like coffee and I want it to be good. Um, and I want to explore fun, unique, different, 
you know, ways to brew coffee in different sources and farms and processing methods. So I, I'm not at the, you know, not at the point where I want to compromise any type of quality. So it's definitely going to be a, a, you know, a trial and error type of thing to get that going. Yeah. How'd you come up with your logo? Yeah, it's actually an interesting story. So I, um, you know, I born and raised in Tampa. So lived on, you know, been on the beach, um, you know, near the beach my, my whole life. And um, I wanted to create a logo that represented, um, you know, a bird from Gulf waters, ocean bird. Um, and I really like pelicans, but I'm just so sick of seeing pelicans on logos. Um, <laughs> every, every, every small company from, from Florida to the Gulf in Texas has a, a pelican as their logo. So I started, I started working with, uh, with a couple, a couple guys who were designing the logo and we just started playing with different lesser known Gulf birds. And this is actually a Kingfisher. Um, okay. and it turns out they're, they're super active. They're super hyper. Um, and just kind of went with the name and the crown. I mean, it's a Kingfisher, so they need to have a crown. That's and, awesome. um, and, uh, you know, I really wanted to kind of make the label, make the logo different than what I was seeing. A lot of craft coffee is like just the name of the brand in a different font. And so I wanted to have like something unique that kind of popped and said, Hey, that's a recognizable image for that company type thing. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the background, but yeah, that's the idea behind that's it. That's a, that, no, that's a good story. I like that. I like that. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it's always, yeah, you know, having home brewing at home for me has always been, um, I wish I could come up with a good logo or a real good name or something for what I do. Cause it, you know, it's, it's a hobby and you want to kind of pretend like you're, you're in a real, uh, real situation. But you know, for me, I think it's going to stay just being a hobby. Well, you never know. <laughs> I well, the people who designed this logo actually own a different coffee shop in Tampa. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So, and and one of them is also a roaster for another local company. So, um, you know, I started talking to them, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, we do logos on the side." And they, I think they knocked it out of the park. I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, it's cool. Very cool. Well, it sounds like the coffee um, community is very similar to beer community. A lot of collaboration, a lot of sharing of ideas, sharing of you know, <clears throat> tricks and things like that. And, you know, I think that's probably what makes it another desirable, you know, product, I guess, to get into and to obsess about and to, you know, break down to its nitty gritty. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's similar in beer in that for the most part, people are very willing to help and collaborate, but you're going to have a couple of those, those folks that aren't. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty similar around, um, around the beer as well. But when I first got started, um, you know, uh, you know, now a friend of mine, uh, Joe, who works at a shop in Tampa as a roaster, he just said, Hey, come on down and watch me roast for the day. And, you know, the, my importer said, Hey, you need to ship, you know, we'll, we'll rent you time on our commercial roaster. Cause in Florida, you can't roast in your garage and then ship out. You have to have a commercial facility. So I actually, I, you know, they gave me the opportunity to grow my business by renting time on their existing roaster. Um, so without a lot of people in the Tampa coffee community, I'd, I'd still be roasting for farmer's markets in my garage. Um, so it's, 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 it's been really helpful. You know, a lot of people have helped along the way. It's like gypsy brewing. It is. Absolutely. Gyps gypsy roasting. 
And there's actually places in California and New York that are shared roasting facilities. They outfit with a bunch of different roasters and they rent time. Come on, come on to roast your coffee and pay us a, wow. an hourly fee or a fee, fee per pound. And you don't have to worry about all the upfront costs. That's impressive. Amazing. <clears throat> so uh, what's everyone going to be drinking tomorrow when it comes to coffee in the morning? Well, so I, I want to talk about this Gation, Neil, because uh, you mentioned it a few times and, and Evan's probably wondering what the heck we're talking about. Uh, so I put it in the, uh, we've got a drip machine. It's a good drip machine. It's nothing fancy, but it's, it's a nice one. Um, I've done it through that and I've done a Chemex and I think the Chemex just blows it out of the water. And it is an incredibly complex coffee that I, I really, really like. Um, I will say that uh, uh, Saturday morning, my wife broke a, uh, a, a one of these canisters of coffee in our kitchen. She pulled it out and dropped it or something. I, I don't know what happened. I was up getting our girls in, and uh, I, I specially set aside that geisha in a certain area of our little coffee drawer. I said, <laughs> where did you get that coffee from? What part of the drawer? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, luckily I was able to figure out that it wasn't that one. It was something else. And uh, of the three that I had in canisters, it was, it was the, the third lowest quality or whatever. But um, I, I, I've just, I've really loved the Chemex. I, I typically don't have time to make a Chemex on the, uh, on the weekdays, but I try yeah. to do a Saturday and Sunday. And so uh, I probably got uh, two or three more rounds in uh, of that Geisha left. Um, for this weekend and, and maybe uh, early next week or whatever. Um, but uh, it, it, it's a really, it's, I don't know what the complexity is and, and how you did it. You said you got some special beans for that, but it is, it's really, really, really incredible. Um, and yeah, I appreciate that. Ask me for a couple tablespoons of it after we're done here. But uh, back to Evan's question, I'm just going to make some, uh, um, I don't know if we're going to talk about regions or not, but our local places, uh, CXT is one of the places that we really like. They've got this Indonesia um, bean right now that I think it's really good. It's um, it's really really uh, full bodied, chocolatey with a uh, little little <laughs> vanilla and some fruit. Um, I, I've just really really grown to like it as they've had it lately, and um, so that's what I've got right now in my uh, non Chemex uh, canister that I'll. Uh, I'll tomorrow morning because I've got meetings with Europe at 6 a.m. So quick and easy and get going that way. Yeah, I think I have some of the now I think I used up most of what CXT had with their Honduras. And I remember when Tristan, who's the roaster there, talked about the Honduras that he had roasted and how fruit forward it was. And at first I was like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, it's probably, you know, still smells like coffee, but you ground those beans and it was like strawberry, cherry, just like red fruit. And I had, I have never smelled that kind of flavor in coffee beans, like in my life. And I have still drank a lot of coffee, but that stuff was amazing. And I've run out of that, but I think I've been doing, I want to say it's Nicaraguan. Um, I usually get a collection of their stuff and, you know, I like to try a little bit of everything that they have, but some of my favorites are usually the Central American. I love Central American coffees. Guatemala, Costa Rica. Um, I will say that one of my least favorite coffees, um, 
and maybe it's just the places I've had it, has always been Kona Hawaiian coffee. I always think it's pretty bland. And maybe it's because I've not had good roasted Kona coffee, but I was, you know, in Hawaii and it was still like, why isn't this better? Why can't you guys make this better? Yeah. Maybe Neil knows more about that. Kona and Jamaica and Blue, Blue, Blue uh, Mountain are kind of those two, two uh, source, sources for me that are kind of a lot of clout, um, but maybe not a lot of substance behind it. Okay. I think um, there's a little bit of a placebo effect about when people have it on vacation because they're on vacation in Jamaica or Hawaii, and they think oh, yeah. this is the best, the best coffee I've ever had. Well, you're on totally. the beach. Or was, that's, what I was, in a, that's what I was thinking. In a mountain. Um, and I, I, I definitely don't think that the price kind of commands – or that it, could, that it should command the kind of price it gets if it wasn't just for scarcity, um, honestly. Um, unlike that Gesha, which cost me like seven times more to source than any other coffee that I, that I sell. Um, but I think for, for, good, for good reason. But um, yeah, I'll, I'm actually, tomorrow, I'm actually going to be drinking a pour over, actually a Mocha Master. I'm actually at the, at the beach right now, but I'm going to be drinking a Mocha Master of the second release of Gesha that I have oh, hiding away. Um, so I've been doing some be listed for sale. Yes, it will. Um, it's <laughs> all right. It's going to be a, a fall release. Um, it's from the same farm. Um, and I mean, they crush it over there. They, um, Onyx, um, they're, uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Onyx, but they're a huge, um, national brand and yeah, they just set, you know, they set the bar right here. You know, they're, there's, you know, kind of my idols is when it comes to kind of coffee, um, huge growth, but still winning competitions. They actually used this farm to win the uh, U.S. Barista Championship uh, in 2020. Um, and so I, I uh, it's actually a funny story. I actually was not very specific when I sourced the coffee. So I was trying to get that first coffee that you have, and I was not specific and ended up getting a different bag of a different coffee. And I roasted it and tasted it, and I said, this doesn't taste at all like what I was, what it, what it was supposed to taste like. And I said, Oh, it's because I, I ordered the wrong coffee. So inadvertently I have another amazing coffee. That's just very different. Um, so I'm going to be drinking that, um, uh, trying to like perfect that, that roast for, uh, late, late September release. Evan, what about you? For coffee? No, I, I said I was probably going to do the CX, one of the CXTs that I have. I think, like I said, didn't I say um, drip. Nicaraguan? Yeah, drip. Kind of bounce around. You'll do drip? Yeah, because my wife will be drinking, so quantity is also very important in our house. Now, if, yeah, it's on the weekends, you know, I'll make a Chemex, and I better be sure I make her one, too, because if I make one for myself and not make one for her, she, she just, yeah, she doesn't like that. But she also has the... <laughs> you know, you know, ability. She, she likes the Nespresso machine to make her espresso, um, if she wants it. So yeah. Awesome. But yeah. We've got a handful of coffee machines at home too. So we've got a few questions. I, I assume we're wrapping up here. Um, but, uh, I know Evan, you probably got one or two final ones. I, I was really just kind of curious on, uh, you know, when it, when it relates to coffee on what your favorite regions are, um, either, I guess, both for, for roasting. I don't know if, I assume they roast pretty similarly in the process, but um, roasting and uh, as well as drinking. Um, yeah, so just all seasonality or, or what, what kind of sticks out? 
I, I tend to lean towards really bright fruit forward coffees um, or coffees that are a little, little bit more complex and delicate with some tea notes. Um, and so that automatically leads me to Ethiopia um, where your Ethiopian naturals can be fruit bombs like the Mustafas, like berries and spice. Um, but, you know, in the same vein, I have a wash process Gurma Shetu on the menu right now that is just like honey and citric acidity and stone fruit and Earl Grey tea um, with a little bit of lavender floral mixed in and, you know, just super sweet, but super complex and super subtle. Um, Ethiopia has always been one of my favorites. Um, my, the other go-to for me is Colombia. I think that Colombia right now with some of the farms that my importers have been working with have just been pushing the boundaries for what fermentation can do to coffee. Um, one of the importers that we work with did a coffee um, that they literally froze during fermentation and they called it frozen cherry. Um, and, you know, things like that, thinking outside the box like that during fermentation are kind of the things that lead me to, to think that Colombia is going to be really kind of leading the way uh, from a fermentation uh, perspective of coffee. I mean, even the, the Colombia I have on my menu is was fermented, you know, 10 times longer than any other coffee that I have, um, you know, five to 10 times. It's 100 hours fermented um, and it just smells like cantaloupe out of the bag. Um, so those two regions are probably my favorite. Um, I do love Indonesians and Sumatras and things like that. I really love when you can get a washed one instead of a wet hold. Um, I think some lesser quality Indonesian coffees tend to have kind of a muddy um, kind of earthiness that I'm not a huge fan of. But if you can get a good one and, you know, some of those notes that you were mentioning earlier with like the chocolate and the vanilla um, and the body on those coffees is insane. Um, and, and so I really do want to get more uh, involved into the Indonesian um, uh, region once we open the shop and, and get a little bit more volume going through as well. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go next, but um, you know, it, it was interesting just with this Indonesia that I, I think they, I don't know if they had it more than uh, three months back, Evan, before that, but uh, it's you know, been it's pretty recent. Been, yeah, it's, it's been pretty recent. But it's, it's always been kind of like Central America and yeah. Dominic, they get a lot of he gets a lot of Dominican, for sure. And so uh, their their Dominican blend, uh, I, I guess I should call it a blend, but their Dominican bean is uh, is really good. But um, to me, Colombia is almost one that's just like it's I don't want to call it safe because that's probably a little bit of a under uh, undervaluing it. It's just one like it's it's not hit or miss. Like you're just it's just really good no matter what roastery is doing. Columbia is always really really good. Um, I would say uh, <laughs> I got married in Costa Rica, so if I go to you know whenever we go on uh, vacation or travel or whatever, obviously we haven't lately. But um, if uh, if a place has a Costa Rica bean, I, I will usually get that just for the uh, the sentimental value there, but I also think it's, it's really good. I think Costa Rica, uh, it's really good. I probably, I probably trend towards the, the Central America a little bit more. Um, but, uh, this Indonesia lately has just kind of really blown it for me because I, I just love the full body finish, you know, just a, a flavor that kind of lingers. And so, uh, at least our local place that has really just knocked that out of the park has, has kind of really done it for me. But, um, I'm just kind of like at a random shop looking. I would, I would probably stick to Central America mostly. Colombia, yeah. I do like Ethiopia as well, but Colombia and, and Costa Rica are the two main ones that kind of stick out to me. 
Costa Rica is doing a lot of cool stuff with um, what they call honey processing, which is kind of a mix between washed and natural process. Um, so there's a lot of really cool coffees coming from Costa Rica as well. I'm a, I'm a fan. I've always had a little sentimental value for the Guatemala and I spent about a month of my time when I was in med school down in Guatemala and you know, we got to tour a coffee farm down there. And of course, obviously everywhere you go to a little coffee shop in Antigua, Guatemala, it's just like, you know, fresh stuff. So I've always had a place in my heart for Guatemalan coffee. It's usually been very, um, it's just such an easy drinker. I've always thought Guatemalan, it never kind of, turns you off or, or, or goes, goes too hard one way or the other. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just how I've always felt about it. It just always is kind of right in the middle for me. No, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think a lot of roasters use Guatemalans as a big portion of their espresso blends because like you said, it has good body. It's a lot, oftentimes very sweet coffee. Um, and a lot of those cocoa um, yeah, notes like go it. along with it traditionally as well. So I think you're absolutely right. Man, I just, I kind of want some, I didn't get a cup of coffee today because I had surgery this morning, so I did not have any coffee today. I was worried today. we were going to do this and I was going to be craving some coffee. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it, it. These, are, these are the you hardest days for me. Hardest days. I know days. I'm going to probably just wake up at, at 4.30 tomorrow and say, I'm not going, I'm not going the drip today. I'm going Chemex after this podcast. <laughs> That's like That's the, a good thing though. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a ritual, you know, it's the first thing that, you know, when I get up in the morning, like on vacation, we're, you know, up in Michigan. And the first thing my wife and I like to do is make a pot of coffee and sit out on the deck and watch, you know, the sunrise with coffee. And that's like the best part of our day. Well, and, and, you know, my wife, uh, you know, when we're meeting new people and stuff, she's always kind of like, Ryan's a, a beer guy. And whatnot. I'm just like, nope. I just love flavors. Like that's kind of where my passion is at. Like coffee, tea, you know, it doesn't have to be alcohol. Like coffee and tea just when they're done well are really complex, really flavorful. I can find just as much passion in that as I can in 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 you know, beer, wine, bourbon, uh, and and food obviously and cooking and things like that. Like I just think there's the the way that places like Alert and just other great coffee roasters have, have brought um, the level of, of the, you know, beans up, uh, there's just the flavor profile and the complexity is just kind of mind blowing. I, I just think, uh, the, the bar, uh, the bar has been set, but I think sky's the limit. I just, I, you know, if, if it wasn't for caffeine and keeping me up all day, I could drink coffee all day. I just like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so Neil, where do, where do you order your coffee from? Where do we find you, um, like your socials and stuff? Yeah, so um, our Instagram is Alert Coffee Co. Um, and uh, our website is alertcoffeeco.com. And right now we are shipping online. We also have a retail section set up inside Seventh Sun. Um, so our shop is opening. We're shooting for the first or second week of September, and we'll be a full blown coffee shop open um, espresso, cold brew, um, drip, um, and pour overs, the whole deal. Um, inside Seven Sun. Uh, we're also going to be, you can find us in a lot of beers coming up. Um, 81 Bay is going to be using our, um, I'm working directly with the head roaster there to uh, come up with us with their coffee porter is going to be seasonal based on what coffees we have in that work. 
Um, so it's a pretty unique concept and we're actually going to be listing on the can or they're going to be listing on the can the region of coffee used. Um, so that's one of the, you know, I think a, a really cool, you know, consistent beer that someone has on the shelf that's going to be really focusing on the seasonality of coffee. Um, Seven Sun, we're also doing, uh, coming up a stout collaboration with them as well. And um, if you're still into trading, um, we uh, did a, a great collaboration with uh, the folks at Late Start um, and Angry Chair uh, for Barrel Age Clean Living um, for Beer Week, one of their Beer Week day releases. Um, it's a Barrel Age Pistachio. Yeah, so we, we, we worked with the brewers <laughs> from both sides there and uh, came up with a Peru Colombia blend. Um, and man, I, I think that thing turned out great. I still have a bottle, so I got to see how it's holding up. But um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, in beers, we're around and online, and we should have a shop open up soon um, in Seminole Heights in Seven Sun. And good luck, Neil. I, that's exciting. And trust me, next time I'm down in Tampa, which hopefully will be sooner than later, um, we'll have to make that one of our stops as well, in addition to um, checking out our usual, you know, beer places there too. Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll nerd out over some coffee. It'll be great. <laughs> yes. Awesome. We got to do the uh, desert Island four pack before we start. Yep. Yep. Okay. So the last, last desert Island four pack, your favorite, this is beer of course, but if you want to make it a desert Island four pack of coffee, you can. So is this styles or specific beers? Whatever and you want. You, some people, you, you some people will do just styles. Some people will do specific beers. Well, so right now I'm leaning very heavily towards lighter styles because it is so hot. Um, so um, uh, my buddies over at Late Start, um, they're killing it with the Berliners and Gozas. So their Margarita Goza definitely got to be on there. Um, I'm probably going to do a mix and match of specific beers and styles. Um, my next uh, got to have a Pilsner in there. Um, uh, so some sort of sour Pilsner. And I'm, I'm actually gonna mix genres too. So for whiskey, if I could have one on there, it would be uh, LaRue 2016 vintage. Um, I, I keep trying to find a better whiskey um, and I just can't. Um, so um, I'm running low on that bottle too. It's killing me every time I look at it. Um, but, uh, but that one, that one would definitely be on my list. And- uh, 67.4, right? Yeah, oh yeah. It's, I have an man, open mind. I'm just like scared to, because everyone knows so, how good it is. It's so I got a 2017 and tasted it next to a 2016. I sold the rest of the 2017 half open to buy a 2016 the next day. Like, it was crazy how much how good it really is. Um, yeah, so I mean that's better. that's one of my all time whiskeys right there. Incredible addition to your uh, Desert Island four pack. Yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, but for the last one, I have to have some wine. Um, we've been really into uh, doing some wine drinking, um, trying to go to Napa in November, see how that holds up with, with everything going on right now. Um, uh, we have some favorite places we like to go, out to go to out there, but Turnbull uh, specifically for cabs um, and pretty much their whole line. I mean, um, you know, their, their Sauv Blancs is good $40 Sauv Blanc that kills it. Um, so a uh, funny story real quick. The other night, my wife, um, who obviously just had a baby three three months ago, um, hasn't really been drinking all that much. So I told her to pick any bottle she wanted, and so she picked a Turnbull Cab um, in 2013, uh, specific vineyard only release. Um, it was like 
more money than I wanted to drink because we were eating pizza bagels. But I told her, pick a bottle. <laughs> so, but uh, but any type of uh, Turnbull would, would have to be on the list as well. Did you get Turnbull down there easily? We're, we some, we uh, we had too much fun in their tasting room and signed up for the membership. So we got uh, uh, we got a uh, we got a giant ship. We get the Turnbull uh, Saw Blanc, which I agree is. It's so we, good. We had their cab at a uh, at a restaurant in Chicago, and it wasn't. You know, it's eighty or ninety bucks on the on the menu at the restaurant. It's not overly pricey, and uh, it was endless. And I haven't been able to find it at a local store. And a couple of ours say they they get it, but it's not year round. And so they said just keep waiting, keep waiting. But um, I I love Turnbull. I'm glad you said that. That's yeah, yeah a great job. Let me know. Uh, I'll, I'll reach out to you. Um, their 2017 Black Label Cab, I think, just got 100 points from RP. Um, so I should be getting, I can probably, I think, add on some bottles. So I'll let you know before my next shipment. So 17 is my wedding year. And so uh, we are collecting 2017 wines so that we can have a 2017 every anniversary. So um, I will uh, absolutely take you up on that. I've got Beautiful. <laughs> Auburn 2017s. Um, then uh, um, a couple others. Uh, Oakland one hasn't had theirs yet, but uh, a couple other. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm totally drawing a blank right now, but we've got ten or twelve right now, so uh, we're we're trying to stack them up. So nice. will be perfect. So yeah, and the Turnbull lasts you like twenty years in the fridge. So yeah, that's all we need. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. You know, when awesome. we start talking about wine, then we know we have to shut it down. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, no, hey, guys, I want to I I thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, great to connect with both of you again after uh, my uh, several-year absence, absence from the uh, from the beer world as well. So hey, great to uh, catch back up. Hey, no problem. It sounds like you're a busy guy with an awesome co coffee company that's going to get busy here in a minute. So... Good luck with it. Um, nothing but the best. Good to talk to you and actually kind of hang out face to face a little bit. Absolutely. And uh, next time you guys come down to Tampa, let me know. All right. Absolutely. Cheers, Cheers everybody. everybody. Have a good night. Thanks, guys.